there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and a while ago, a couple months ago, I started seeing all these social media posts about this bakery in Ashland. There were just these beautiful photos of scones and cinnamon, cinnamon rolls and breads, and I was just like, in Ashland, this is so random, but like, I was seeing so much and hearing so much good feedback about this place, I had to visit it. And as soon as I showed up, first of all, the space is just beautiful and you're just drawn in like by a <laughs> tractor beam. And then you taste some of the baked goods that are coming out of here and they will want to have you coming back again, again, and again. And I just knew as soon as I bit into these, I had to meet the owner behind this. And that is Ashley Welch. She is my guest on the podcast today. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Excited. I'm excited too. <laughs> so... Just as kind of an introduction, and I think a lot of my listeners, just based off the social media interactions I've had, mm -hmm. the amount of people that I see coming into Farine um, every week, it seems like a lot of people are very familiar with the bakery. But just in case someone who's listening to this isn't, mm -hmm. how would you describe Farine? Well, oh gosh, when we, so we took this old dilapidated dark building and I knew like, I just wanted to do a complete 180 on this thing. And we just took it as light and bright um, as we could. So, I mean, old brick went white on the outside and the inside, the floors are white. Uh, we put in huge windows. We just wanted this super cozy, warm, welcoming space. Um, some people describe it as farmhousey. I'm not super in love with that term. I just wanted real... I don't know, kind of like a little bit rustic, but just really, really welcoming. So yeah, we just upped the white paint and upped the natural light and it just really came together beautifully. Well, I love how you describe the atmosphere because I think even if you guys didn't sell any baked goods or breads, it would still be a really cool place to come in and just have a cup of coffee or catch up with some friends or maybe work remotely for a couple hours like it's yeah. that kind of a space it's just really it is just warm and and friendly kind yeah. of but then you enter the baked goods into the picture and I mean you know I kind of mentioned before like cinnamon rolls um, buns scones turnovers you name it you guys are selling it and it's yeah. really impressive what I really think is interesting is that you guys you don't just do the traditional sweet bakering but you mix in the savory too yeah. how did you come to the decision that we're going to feature both types of baking at, at Farine? well you know when it comes to a bakery most people associate that with morning and right. not everyone goes straight to sweet when they wake up in the morning there's you know the eggs and bacon people out there so um we just knew we had to have a little bit of something for everyone so although we primarily focus on the sweet side um you know, you got to have a little salty in there for, for, those, for those people. So, um, yeah, we pretty much just decided, like most bakeries, you take your usual um, form for something and then you just swap out the ingredients. So that's been a good balance. Every once in a while, we get a little bit too light on the savory and we hear from somebody like, you need more. So we try and up it the next week. But, yeah, it's a good balance. As a fan of savory baking, I'm a huge 
I love that you guys go in that direction. Last time I came in, you guys had something called the blue plate turnover, <laughs> which was basically like this really flaky, doughy pastry stuffed with uh-huh. bacon, potatoes, and cheese. Yeah. And <laughs> it was all kinds of awesome. So yeah. I'm glad that you've decided to to go a little bit in the savory direction. Yeah. But w- another thing that I think is so cool is is... And you kind of just mentioned it in your last answer. You guys are constantly updating the menu and what's mm-hmm. available. It, it changes weekly, if not even it more does. frequently. You guys do daily specials, all kinds of stuff. How are you constantly coming up with new things and rotating things in and out? Well, honestly, yeah. Sometimes I kind of think maybe we should just do like a twice a month. Because I swear, you know, we get this week's menu planned out and then before you know it it's time to figure out the next one and it can be really daunting but it's fun too um but no as far as inspiration I think probably like most people you know you go back to childhood favorites you roll in some classics that you just know for whatever reason go over well with people and then of course there's you know grabbing the magazines off the racks at the store hopping onto Pinterest following like-minded businesses on Instagram just to kind of see you know, some unique combos or what's new out there. And so we try and keep a good balance of classics, childhood favorites with just a little bit of unique spin and then something really unique. So what's an example of a childhood classic with a unique spin that you're really proud of? Let's see. And when I say unique spin, you know, you can't get too crazy right in the midwest let's be honest here you, you throw in a really <laughs> off you know ingredient and people are like i don't know about that but um so for example this week we're gonna do um a blueberry crumble bar but the blueberries are infused with a little bit of balsamic so it gives it just a little bit it just kind of cuts that sweet a little bit and um kind of boosts the flavor of the blueberries so we're excited to see how that rolls out but you know just little things like adding an extra ingredient to an otherwise normal thing like a banana muffin you know you add be a little bit of nutmeg. You toss some more walnuts on top. Give it a unique icing. Just enough to take it from, like, homemade to bakery special. Mm-hmm. Um, we try not to get too, too out of the box, though, because then you never know if those things will sell. Right. Now, you guys are offering about, I would say, a dozen different baked goods each week, plus several different types of loaves. Like, that's a lot of baking. And and at high demand, you guys Mm -hmm. are constantly working. And there was a social media post that you actually put out recently about just even your ovens are, like, struggling to keep up because of the demand. I know that you're super busy. So where are you finding the time... When, when you talk about like these new innovative ones where you might see something on Pinterest and you're like, ooh, we should try that or I could right. put this spin on that. When, mm-hmm. when are you finding time to do like R&D on stuff like that? So, gosh, we, our little bakery crew in the kitchen has really developed really nicely in the last couple of months. And we have our early morning baker. We have our two midday. We have a prep baker and then our new primary baker who basically is in charge of making sure everyone knows what they're doing for the week. Her and I meet once a week to go over what the menu will be the next week, and then we have our evening girl who comes in um, to finish up any prep work needed. Luckily, she'll be switching to full-time next month, so we'll have another full-time baker. But, um, yeah, everyone has their specific duties, and they have to make the most of their time because our kitchen is itty-bitty. It is no bigger than a home kitchen, and we have gotten so creative with our use of space in there. 
No nook or cranny is unused, and um, it's tight. There's definitely a dance that happens in there when there's more than two people. But we just make the most of our time, and we just get out as much product as we can, especially on those insane Saturdays that, I mean, we've had people out the door before, and it's a long, skinny building, and it's 50 feet back to the counter. So I think I know, yeah, the post you're referring to, and I just, I drove by that day, um, after helping out at our other store and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's so busy. And I always worry people are going to be upset, but, um, yeah, they, they really have a tight schedule in there and they, they know what they're doing. So, so what's, what's the process of developing a new product, something that you guys haven't done before? Like how do you move from, I saw this really cool thing that I want to try Uh to it's, in the uh, in the display case for people to buy, what right. what happens in between? Well, if it's something we can e- kind of use some of our current products on, um, it goes a little faster. If it's a completely new thing we haven't done before, like hey, we need to come up with a new pie crust recipe because we're gonna make this new little like morning turnover pocket thingy or you know whatever it might be, that usually takes a couple weeks. But oftentimes it's just hey, let's try this new flavor combo. Let's use this, this, and that. And then they'll make a few kind of little samples throughout the week, say, which one do you like? How do we like this finished look? What do you think of this filling? They're just tiny little, you know, prototypes throughout the week. And then usually at zero hour, when it's time to get that stuff out, we feel confident enough that we can whip up a batch. So, yeah. I've tried to monitor your menus throughout the last couple of weeks to I, to answer this question, but I figure it makes sense to just ask you instead. Sure. Are there any like staples where if somebody comes in, they can basically expect X, X, and X are going to be in the display case? Right. So as far as a very specific, we'll always have cinnamon rolls. As you should. As They're you amazing. Should. Thank you. Yeah, we've really tweaked that recipe since opening, but we've finally got it right where we wanted it. You know, And there's also that whole thing of making sure all the bakers are consistent with one another, especially when they're not all in at the same time. You know, baker A might do it one way, whereas baker B might, you know, have their ratios a little different. But so, yes, we'll always have cinnamon rolls. That's just kind of one of our things. But then... Um, we'll always have a couple of our croissant products. We'll always have at least one scone on the menu. We always try and have two, one sweet, one savory. Um, but we try and keep the balance of, like, the types, and, and then it's just the flavors that we switch out. So we're trying not to repeat any flavors from week to week. That's a really interesting point that you just brought up about the consistency because, especially with baking, like, you can kind of fudge it a little bit with cooking. But with baking, everything is down to such a science from – the amount of, you know, each uh, ingredient that goes in to the baking time to, you know, what the oven is set at, like all that has to be very exact. Oh, for sure. How do you ensure that consistency when you are dealing with so many different people who are touching these products? It's not easy. I mean, there's been, you know, some little frustrations here throughout since we opened, but everyone's been real gracious about it and they understand like every, you know, no one likes to hear feedback that isn't perfection but they know that you know these are ways to make things better so um but yeah it's it's real fine tunes it's like hey um I know last week we were having a little trouble with maybe the tops of the cinnamon rolls being a little too dark so I tried this this week and they worked out perfectly so they leave a note for everyone and you know we have these little handy dandy uh chat 
apps that we use that are all broken down like kitchen talk, menu ideas, so we can all share our thoughts and it's fun. We get some good banter going, but yeah, it's always easy to like, hey, I did this, it worked perfect, let's do this, do it this way from now on and everyone's been really good about listening and doing that. So yeah, everything is really, really leveling out. I think that the average person, and I would include myself in this, has so someone who's not a baker has a difficult time understanding just how complicated and <laughs> intricate baking is. Sure. So I would love for you to kind of pull back the curtain for us on one item in particular that I think will help kind of start to show just how like difficult and how much effort goes into every single item. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I had on my first visit to Farine. And it was a blueberry and lemon turnover. Yeah. And I remember this thing. And this is what sold me on Farine because I remember I bit into this Mm -hmm. and I just, I looked at the inside of it and looking at all the different, I mean, I couldn't even count the layers. It seemed like there were at least 30, maybe more. And I was just thinking to myself, like, Somebody laid out every single one of these. Somebody found a way to put just the right amount of lemon zest in here uh-huh. and just the right amount of blueberries and everything. So walk me through the creation of that product as kind of an example of this is like serious business. <laughs> yeah. So, well, gosh, so we haven't had that. on. We should do that one. That's a good one. I just It was awesome. Mental note. Um, yeah, so we actually, there is one product that we get help with that we are not able to make, and that is a puff pastry dough. We have since switched it to a croissant dough. Um, as a little backtrack, it requires a sheeter, which is a kind of large piece of machinery required to make that type of laminated dough. And like I mentioned, our kitchen is itty bitty. Um, so that's the one product that we get, but we, it is a beautiful product very much reflected in what I pay for it every week. Um, but as far as our fillings, every literally everything else is scratch, and our fillings, we put everything we can into them. So, yeah, that lemon blueberry one is so good. Um, you always have to have zest when it comes to berries. It just brightens them beautifully, and it brings out their flavors. Lemon and blueberry go so lovely together. So, yeah, with that one in particular, we brightened the blueberry filling um, with just enough sugar and lemon zest, and then the top we had a lemon icing, um, to just up that lemon a little bit more. And then, of course, with the buttery puff pastry, it's just, it's lovely. Everything's just so in balance. Like, it's not too sweet. The blueberry doesn't make it too tart. You know, it's not too uh, citrusy from the lemon. Like, everything just yeah. works so well in harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we've done a lot of talking about baked goods, but I also want to highlight you guys' bread program sure. because you sell several different kinds of bread. So just kind of... Yeah. Walk me through that. How did you develop that? You know, how, how do you figure out which loaves you're doing each week? Maybe it's a similar process to right. how you develop the pastries. But just tell me about your bread program. Yeah. So um, we've only been open since mid-December. So getting our right. bread program rolling and rolling smoothly has been tricky. It takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of space, especially when you do sourdoughs, because, my goodness, you get all of those things lined up, and then you have to then put them in their baskets. And But um, we finally have it going now. One of our new full-time bakers, who's been with us from the beginning, she started part-time, but she decided the bakery life was for her, and she is now full-time. Um, but, yeah, we always try and have a sourdough on the menu because 
I mean, who doesn't love a good crusty sourdough? A and crazy person. You get oh. <laughs> right. Uh, it was my breakfast this morning. Um, and there isn't really any in our immediate area either. So it's nice to have a source for that. Yeah, but then we really can only do three types per week. Again, time and space. But um, So we always have at least one type of sourdough, one slightly sweeter yeasted, maybe like a cinnamon raisin, or we're going to try a milk bread next week, um, maybe a couple weeks from now. But and then some kind of savory, whether it's got a lot of inclusions like cheeses or herbs or olives or whatever, or just a good dark rye, something like that. But we try and keep that balance. One sourdough, one sweeter, one savory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I remember the first time my wife and I came in, we got a loaf of the seeded rye sourdough. And yeah. to be clear, these are these are big loaves. Like, yeah. they're you hold them in both hands. <laughs> they're not messing around. And we went home and we were like, well, we got to try the bread fresh. And so we each had a piece and we are like, oh, this is really good. Yeah. So then we had sandwiches with it for dinner. And then we like had it again for a snack. And by the end of the day, it was like 65% gone. Yeah. And we're just like, we should not be eating this much bread, but it's so good. No, you should. <laughs> we should. Yes, we should be eating more bread. That's Bread is life. I'm, is. I'm all for eating more bread. It's been around a while. Um, uh, one more thing I want to highlight before we get into kind of the backstory uh, of Varine is when you visit, you'll notice as soon as you walk in the doors along the left side mm-hmm. of the bakery, there's a, there's like a, a market and a yeah. wine merchant with all kinds of products. Some of them are locally sourced. Some of them are for, from around the country. But sure. it's really cool because you can almost like as you're waiting in line to get your pastries or whatever, you can almost like do your grocery shopping yeah. kind of where did that idea come from, and, and how do you find and decide what's going to go on those shelves? Sure. Well, again, when you're in a small town, you have to assume that you're going to have a lot of tourist traffic. People are making a trip in. So if you can dual purpose your space and have it be more than just one thing, um, you know, not only does that help the success of the space, but it makes it more interesting to other people. So Although I really didn't have any concerns about a bakery doing well, I mean, all small towns need a bakery, I thought, you know, there's no reason we can't inject a little bit more in here, so why not have a really cute specialty market wall that has items that you probably won't find, well, you prob- you won't find in your average grocery store, um, and then really good wine. My husband and I love wine. I have family in California and wine country, so it's near and dear to our heart. We love some of the Nebraska wines, but... You know, again, there's there was that gap missing of the good European and some California varietals that we couldn't find anywhere around. So we thought, well, how cute would it be to have a bakery that also has specialty grocery and wine and we could fit it in. So why not? So, yeah, we just rolled with it and it turned out really nice. How do you vet the products that you end up putting on those shelves? Yeah. So our wine that we get, we just go through one um, distributor. I think they're out of Lincoln, the Italian vine. Um, we met with the owner and our rep, Melissa, is lovely. She comes out once or twice a week and just sees what we need. We chat. We have wine tastings. We kind of tell her what we're looking for, the kind of backstories we would like for the wines that we carry, and she puts together a nice selection for us to choose from. So that's been a lot of fun. And then as far as the market products, um, like you said, we do have a handful of local. I would love to get more, and I'm really excited to hit that hard now that we're into spring and you know, more local farmers will be having products and whatnot that farmers I can Farmers markets, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, but otherwise, honestly, a lot of it's just those websites where you can go and find all these unique products that are specially 
for retailers, you know, it's basically just shopping wholesale. Um, but you can really get specific on what you're looking for and really do a deep dive into the internet and see like, okay, this is this thing in my mind. Surely somebody out there makes it. And when you find the thing, it's like, cool, I can carry it now. How did you get into baking originally? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I would love to say that family, 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 but my family is spread all across the country. So the biggest parts of baking as a child were with my grandma, but I only saw her a few times a year. And then my mom did as much as she could, but she's a single mom, so she worked a lot. So I think it just came from a lot of curiosity when I started having kids and I was home. You know, I was the real typical husband was at work. I was at home with the new baby, and I was like, I need something to do. So, yeah, I started baking a lot, and I just really, really loved it. Do you remember, like, what made you catch the bug originally? What was it that kind of got baking in your head? You know... That is a great question, and people have asked me that before, and I honestly can't pinpoint a specific time. I just, I've always been a creative person, and I had to use, like, what I had on hand at home, and I had flour, and I had sugar, and I had a little time here and there in between baby naps, so I was like, okay, well, I'll do some baking. Uh, that was really all I, all I had time for, so, yeah, I, I can't think of a specific moment, but at some point... It came about about 11 years ago, 11 or 12. <laughs> well, I'm sure that there's a lot of this just comes from practice over the years. But, I mean, it's it's one thing to move from, you know, being a home baker to being able to produce goods that are mm. professionally made. Right. And, you know, we're, we're not just talking about, oh, I made this awesome loaf of banana bread. But you're making, you know, a vegan chocolate cake that mm -hmm. is just beyond delicious you're making turnovers you're making just these beautiful buttery scones like how did you level up your game to where you were going from hey I'm starting off as a home baker to like I'm making a lot of different pastries that are professional level and people will pay for these right um I would say you know it, like a lot of artsy people they tried something once and then got addicted to it and just obsession kind of took over like okay I have got to keep making this over and over and over until it is perfect and of course it's never perfect to this day I still make the same things I've made a thousand times in my kitchen like it could be a little bit better it could be a little bit better um, and it just kind of snowballed from there so you know a few basic recipes turned into okay I could make this better than you can get at a bakery what do I need to tweak to make that happen and then I did it with another thing and another and yeah, then I was like, well, maybe I could own a bakery one day. That'd be a lot of fun. I officially love this thing I've been doing, so why not? So let's talk about that first bakery because Farine isn't your first foray no. into professional baking. You actually opened Bittersweet Bakery in December of 2011. Mm -hmm. How did that opportunity come about, and how did you make the, the leap from, hey, I'm making awesome baked goods at home to I'm going to open yeah. a bakery? Yeah, it was pretty insane. Um I was pregnant with our second daughter, and um, I had been a stay-at-home mom for a few years at that point. And I love my children dearly, but that was not the life for me. And I had known it for a while. I'd been telling my husband, like, I got to get out into the world. I got to do something. And I'd been doing a lot of baking at home. And there was this tiny little, maybe the tiniest spot in, on our main street in downtown Ashland. And one day, there was a little for rent sign in the window, and I was like, well maybe I mean I was 
five months pregnant and it was insane. The timing was terrible, <laughs> but I couldn't help but call and just see what the rent was like. And it was insanely cheap. And I was like, oh my God, I can't let this go. Cause in a small town, you know, retail space only comes available once in a blue moon. So I told him what I wanted to do. He probably thought I was crazy. I probably blocked it out and said, let's do it anyway. <laughs> and we did. So she was born in October. Um, I got a tiny loan from our local bank and fixed up what I could on the inside. And we opened it in December. And gosh, it was a two-year whirlwind of getting up incredibly early, did all the baking myself, then switched up front to the register, sold everything myself. Um, it was a very simple operation, very small batches, never got into the fancy coffee or anything like that because I didn't have the money or time for it. Um, I had one helper on Saturday mornings. She was a godsend, so I could actually go home for a little while. <laughs> um, but yeah, my gosh, it, people were lovely. I had regulars. I sold out almost every day, but it, I got to that late morning point where I had sold out, but it didn't really make sense to make a whole nother round for the afternoon because I knew I wouldn't sell it. Um, yeah, so then at, after about two years, I thought, you know, I've missed out on a lot of time with my two very young daughters, and I was feeling a little guilty about that. And I thought, you know, let's back away from this. Um, if if I can't get it out of my brain in a few years after they're a little bit older and in school, I'll revisit it. Um, it was a good run, but yeah, so that's it condensed, really. How difficult was that decision? It was very hard because you know, especially when people love what you've done. And I had people that were really sad it was going away. But yeah, the guilt of missing out on all that time with our kids. And I was just working myself into the ground and I was exhausted. And um, but it was really hard. And, you know, I think a big part of it, too, is feeling like I had failed. Um, I didn't have a great business plan. I didn't just plan out any of it really that well to begin with. So yeah, I but after I'd made the decision, I was like, okay, we're going to close it. It's okay. And I announced it. It's like the weight was lifted. It's like, okay, it's out there in the world now. People know it's happening and it's okay. So yeah, it was hard, but it wasn't the worst. So when you say you did all the baking yourself, like I can't even imagine <laughs> what that looks like, even on a small scale. Like yeah. what, what, what type of hours are we talking? Like what's a typical day and not even a Saturday, which might be crazier than the other ones yeah. or might be, I'm sure it was, it but was. <laughs> 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 nothing like, nothing like Farinier now, but yeah, it was, well, I mean, I'd get there about four forty-five or five. Um, and I would just bake, bake, bake as fast as I could till about eight o'clock, I think is when that, when bittersweet opened um, in the morning and I just, I would usually continue a little bit more even after it opened just to get a few more things out. And then kind of like how we do now by mid morning, I would then start on kind of later morning sweets, like maybe a few rounds of cupcakes or a few breads or this or that. Um, yeah, you know, I think back on it now and I don't really know how I did it. <laughs> there was a lot of autopilot and there was a few things I had to call in help for. So like, there was a few products I had to use because I didn't have the money to buy the equipment needed to make these things. But I would say like 95% of it was all scratch. Wow. I hate to say everything is scratch made when there might be like one or two things that you have to like. But yeah, I, I don't know. And I did wedding cakes too. And I did birthday cake orders. 
Goodness gracious. Never again. Never all, again. <laughs> all while being a mother of two young yes, children. Yes, yeah, and my husband was great during that time. He tackled the morning routines, and, you know, it was it was terrible timing, but I just couldn't let that little space go, and I'm glad I did it, though. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there are a lot of lessons that you learned from those two years that have oh, influenced yeah. What you've put into Farine now that have mm-hmm. helped make it a success. As you look back, can you identify maybe one or two of the biggest things that you learned from Bittersweet that have played into the the essence of Farine? The biggest thing I have learned from any business I have ever owned is the people that you bring in to help make it happen. You cannot uh, something I remind myself because I'll find myself getting into this flow of oh I can do that I can do that I can do that. If you try and do everything, you will accomplish nothing. And I just know now things will run better if I hire somebody who's better at it than me. So, and it does, and it's true. And looking back to running a tiny bakery by myself, I don't even know how I stayed open for two years, to be honest. Um, Considering now how many people we have in the bakery, you know, and Granted, we have a full coffee service now, too. I, did, I had a single black coffee pot at Bittersweet. There was no, like, fancy coffee. but um, And that's a whole different monster. But, yeah, I mean, you've got to have those people because if you try and pile too much, you're going to burn out. It's going to fail. So, yeah, my biggest thing that I've learned is get the right people to help because you can only do so much for so long. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I consistently hear on this show from chefs and restaurateurs. It just how difficult that can be to do because as the owner, the chef, the head baker, you know, whatever role you have, people are associating whatever product goes into that display case. Mm -hmm. They're associating it with you. So even if somebody else makes it and is completely responsible for that, you know, cinnamon rolls burned or whatever, that's not your fault. Right. But they're going to, they bite into that burned cinnamon roll and they're like, well, what the heck, Ashley? Like, Farine, this was, <laughs> it was so wrong. hyped and now it's not work. So how difficult was that for you to be able to adopt that mindset that sometimes I just have to let go? Sometimes I have to, I have to learn to trust other people mm-hmm. and train them to the best of my abilities. But ultimately, you know, you got to let them do your thing because you just can't do it all. How tough was that to learn? It's really tough because especially as a, like I was saying, as a creative person, you want your hands on the thing that you've worked so hard to put out into the world. So when I'm not the one, like with the pastries, for example, when I'm not the one making them, finishing them, decorating them with this pretty little whatever I had in my head, and then physically putting them out in the case and seeing people's eyes light up, I feel like I'm missing out on a lot. So I'm putting this trust into these people that I've hired to take my ideas, you know, respect them and take them seriously and, you know, do them justice and put them out there and, it is finding the right people that are willing to work with you um, because they understand how hard that is to do all this work to make this vision come to life but then have to step away from it because, yeah, I just realized, you know, it's you have to want the success for this little thing that you've made more than your own personal, you know, recognition for it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like... It's like taking care of a child, you know? I don't care how cute you look in your little outfit. I want you to be happy and healthy and all that. And so, yeah, it's just recognizing the difference, which can be hard. (laughs) As if being a mom 
and owning a bakery weren't enough. Mm-hmm. You own another business in Ashland called the Salt Creek Mercantile. And there is a fantastic breakdown of the entire story of how that came to be on Sorry. Salt Creek Mercantile's website. I highly encourage anyone to go read that because it is like, it's pretty inspirational and, and really, really cool. Thank it's you. also rather lengthy. It is. Can you give me like the two-minute version to to catch listeners up right now. Oh, it's so funny that you asked that because I rewrote that about page so many times (laughs) trying to condense it. And finally, I emailed Claire, who's our web manager. I'm like, you know what? There's no way I can do it. If people want a good story, they're just going to have to get a coffee or pour a glass of wine and sit down and read it because there's just no way. (laughs) I read the whole thing. It was worth every word. Yeah. Well, let's see. Two-minute condense. Um, I'll give you three minutes. Okay, three. Um, Basically, so... I would say Salt Creek came about after Bittersweet had been closed down and I was back to being a stay-at-home mom. Um, I had done my time with entrepreneurship with the bakery and I was settling in and we decided we need a bigger house because our little family was growing. We were still on my husband's bachelor pad and you shouldn't have babies there. So (laughs) we basically, we found some land we took three years to build this house on it by ourselves. We had some help, but I would primarily, this was very much a labor of love. And um, yeah, we got into it and it was more house than we'd had before, but we still didn't have much money. And I was like, okay, well, we need some furniture now. So how do we, we need to furnish this thing, but everything I wanted, we couldn't afford. So I was like, okay, well, I'm bored again. So I'm going to learn how to do some stuff. So he gave me a crash course and some tools. I had a general knowledge, but I'd never really had a big reason to know how to use any of the bigger tools before and he helped build like we started with a coffee table for our our living room and it got a lot of love and that just kind of snowballed into okay well thanks for helping me love you I think I can make a few things now because he owns his own electrical business too I couldn't keep him from that too long um so yeah we just made a few more things and started a little Etsy page with like four pieces of furniture on it that people could customize with their own size and stain color and he helped me with a ton of it, but we just built him out of our garage, and that was Salt Creek Farmhouse as how it started. Um, yeah, so basically that just snowballed into more and more online orders. Um, he was able to back out a little bit more of helping with that, and I hired a couple local carpenters to help me build some stuff. Um, I would take supplies to their houses. They would build the thing in their garage. I'd go pick it up, bring it home, and finish staining it. And then that grew more, so we built a new shop on our land. The carpenters came there. They worked together. And then we had to do one more bump where we got a big new workshop in town, which is right around the corner from both the bakery and the store, um, where they continued to work out of. And then, yeah, in 2018, early in 2018, we'd been doing the furniture thing for a while, and I was like, you know, I love this. This is so much fun, but I would really love a store that has all these goods that can match this furniture, so... And there was this one space I had my eye on. It wasn't for rent, but I got a hold of the people that I knew who owned it. And they it was like fate. They had just happened to respond right back. I had sent this message saying, I know your space is not for rent, but should you ever decide to, please let me know. And she emailed me right back saying, we had just printed up for lease posters. We decided that we don't have the time, because they had kind of an art gallery down there. We don't have the time for it. And... Um, I won't put them in the window. Let's talk after Easter because it was a few days before Easter weekend. I was like, oh, my God. So, yeah. I Again, he was nervous. My husband was nervous about the endeavor, but we went forward with it, and it turned out great. 
So for anyone who's listening from Omaha, from Lincoln, from somewhere that's not like directly out of Ashland, you might be listening right now and thinking, okay, this bakery sounds awesome, but am I, you know, am I going to make this trip to Ashland just to get, you know, a couple pastries or whatever? A, I would say, yes, it's worth it. <laughs> B, you can make a super fun day trip out of going to Ashland by, by g- starting your day at the bakery, hanging out there a little bit, having some baked goods. Then you head over to the mercantile. You check mm-hmm. out a bunch of cool stuff there. Maybe you grab a drink at the Glacial Till. Like, yeah. these are things that my wife and I have done. Like, it's a super fun yeah. little day trip to make. So just an added reason to come visit. Absolutely. Okay, so you've got the you've got the mercantile up and running. Mm-hmm. Your kids are growing to the point where they're still pretty young, but they're mm-hmm. no longer like infants. Right. At what point does the thought of another bakery enter your head? Oh, gosh. Well, boy, oh, boy. I don't really know. So let's see. The Mercantile opened in 2018. We did actually have another daughter at that point who was just a baby, but... Having a retail store is a little less intimidating than a 4 a.m. wake-up call bakery, so we were able to to handle that one a little easier. Um, and I did get a couple helpers for the mercantile right right out the gate. So, um, but I gosh, I don't know. Maybe a couple years in, I would say we really started thinking about it in maybe late 19. There's a little building, um, well, the building that the bakery's in now. It had been there. Ever since, I mean, it been there forever. It's one of the oldest buildings in Ashland. But when my husband and I started dating, whenever I would come see him, I would drive past it, and it just looked, it was an old plumbing building. And you could tell that no business was happening inside that plumbing building. It looked the same for 10 years. So finally, in about 19, I was telling him, I was like, you know, the mercantile is handled. I have a great group of women there that run it. They don't really need me. Maybe we could try the bakery again. I just... I missed it a little. I knew I would not be the baker anymore, but I was like, small towns need a bakery. And I've really got my kind of aesthetic down that, you know, that I love. Um, The store looks like that. Our house reflects that. I was like, this is what I love. I've got this idea in my head. What do you say we try and get our hands on this little building? And he knew the guy that owned it. And he's like, okay, well, you know, again, a little leery of, you know, food industry is a whole different, it's very... There's so many moving parts at any given moment. But, um, yeah, basically to kind of snowball it, we got some conversations going. It was very slow moving. It took over a year to get him to agree to sell it. But finally we did. Um, and then it was a whole other year of construction. And, I mean, it was just there's so much work to be done. The, every part of that building has been touched or repaired or replaced or Oh, it was a lot. But I would say to answer your question, I really got off track there. Probably late 2019 is when we decided, okay, I think we need to revisit this. Now, you just said you knew that you weren't going to be the baker again. Yeah. What, what, what made you just know that right off the bat, that you just ruled that out? Well, I didn't – I knew that, you know – if I was going to own two, there's so much behind-the-scenes stuff that's involved with owning a business. And then when you own a second one on top of already having one that's already a full-time job, the idea of having to physically be in for a shift, especially an early one or one that's long hours, just it wasn't practical. Um, I still had to 
run the mercantile. I would still have to do all of that behind the scenes stuff for the bakery, you know, and I knew there'd be a lot more payroll, a lot more employees, because that's just the nature of food service. You know, whereas the mercantile can be run by one person, maybe two on Saturdays, the bakery would probably have seven to eight people in it at any given time. And I just knew that there'd be a lot of behind the scenes work and that for me to think that I would be able to be in the kitchen just wasn't practical. And it the vision of it would probably look a lot different than what I had in my head. Ashland had grown a lot since the first bakery, a lot more tourist traffic, just more residents in general. So I knew it would be busy. Um, but yeah, I just knew, you know, I'm not the best person for it. I'll definitely bring my ideas. I will definitely help plan that menu each week. Um, but then I'm going to step away and let, let them do their job. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Everything that you just said makes perfect sense and is very sound, but like the reason that you got into this originally was because you loved baking. You developed this this mm-hmm. love for creating when you when you were at home, and and now this was the part of the business you know that you would have less of your hands in. Even while acknowledging that that makes sense, like in your head, was there a part of your heart that was just like, oh man, I don't like I want to open this bakery, but I don't want to give up the baking part. Honestly, there are times where I just kind of want to go in and tinker. And sometimes I do. I'll have an idea. I have a pocket of time or it's the weekend and I'll go in. But for the most part, I've, I think just the way I think about business now and when I look at my family and just things I want to do personally, you know, free time, um, I just know what I can and can't do. And I try not to get hung up on the stuff that I know can't happen on the regular. So, and it really, it comes down to, I just wanted this thing for this town I lived in more than I wanted the bragging rights for it. So I knew that, you know, as long as it's there and I had a hand in making it happen, um, and I still get to have the weekly, you know, chats with the kitchen staff and the baristas like, Hey, let's try this drink or let's make this thing. And I'll kind of sketch, for example, like a pastry we had last week. It was a chocolate hazelnut and I kind of did a little sketch at home of how I wanted it designed and you know how I wanted it finished like just do powdered sugar on half and then a line of of chocolate drizzle and then this and that and that was good for me it's like okay I designed a thing I know they'll make it come to life and it'll be beautiful and people will see it and they'll love it and they don't care who made it they just know that they're in this beautiful space with this yummy thing and that's good enough for me so yeah they're in this beautiful space with this yummy thing I think that's (laughs) a new tagline for the bakery bumper stickers yes yeah so your first day open, December 15th, yeah. 20, uh, 2021, mm-hmm. what do you remember about that day? What jumps to the front of your mind? Oh, Lord. Uh, n- nervous. Um, we had been planning, you know, obviously for a long time, and it was insane because it was so close to Christmas. So that in and of itself was probably a stupid idea. (laughs) Um, But no, it went well. Um, We had a few different staff beginning than we do now. And um, it was new for everybody. You know, we're just like, okay, this is opening day. We'll just do what we can. Um, But yeah, no, it went well. I, I don't think it was one of those things where we knew there was a lot of kinks right out the gate to work out, which I think is normal for any new business, especially a food service one, and especially a bakery a week before Christmas. You know, we had to let people know, sorry, we're not doing any pre-orders for this holiday. We just opened, just kind of getting our feet wet. Um, But yeah, I don't think customers noticed, you know, it went off without a hitch and it was great. How did you create the buzz that you have? Because 
I just I have not seen this. I mean, there are even bakeries in Omaha that are fantastic, but they don't have a quarter of the social media buzz or the word of mouth advertising that Farine does. And they don't have that line that's extending, like you mentioned, outside of a 50-foot restaurant. Like, was there, as you look back, I mean, you've been open four months and it's created just like this social media monster. How did you do this? I don't really know, actually. It's so funny you say that. Um, We give you some credit for the first, like, crazy surge we had after the holidays you know like every business doesn't matter what kind it is that january february is quiet that's when you know everyone is staying inside because it's cold they've spent their money for christmas and they're all on diets so especially for bakeries (laughs) it's like no um and then suddenly we had this like three-day like burst of people and someone's like hey did you know you got influenced i'm like what are you talking about and then they, they mentioned that you had been there. Oh and my then, gosh, yeah, really? Yeah, and I was like, so I looked you up. I'm like, that's that guy that shared all those nice stories on Instagram. So then I like went down the rabbit hole of who is Dan? <laughs> and, um, so yeah, so thank you for that. Oh, well, you're uh, welcome. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Before that, because you mentioned in your post that there had been a buzz, and I guess I didn't know that there had been one. So I don't know. I think probably being related to the mercantile definitely helps because we have a pretty good following for the store. Um. And they did definitely share a website there for a little bit. The bakery has its own now, but they kind of piggybacked off of each other. So that probably didn't hurt. But, yeah, I don't know. I think people just were happy to see a new thing, and it was lovely that they shared. Mm -hmm. Was there a good amount of, like, local buzz? And I'm not talking about people coming in from Omaha or whatever, but when the the bakery opened, especially Mm -hmm. those first couple days, like, was Ashland – were they on alert? Like, it wasn't like people were driving by and like, oh, what's this? But it was like, hey, there's this new bakery yeah. coming. We should go check this out when it opens. Small towns are so funny because you get your regulars that will come in every day and they've been anxiously awaiting for that paper to come off the windows, which is what I did. I did it for the mercantile and the bakery. I papered up all the windows to create a little allure of, you know, mystery of what's going on inside. Um, and I would get messages from the same people. When's it opening? When's it opening? Which was lovely. And then there's still people that I'll bump into that, like, they have no idea there's a new bakery in town. It's just so funny how locals' mindsets work. There's one group and then there's another. But, yeah, there was definitely people ready to have a new a new space in town. And, yeah, it was, very, it was great to give it to them. Something that I think played into the buzz is your Instagram account. You have some of the most beautiful photos oh, thank you. on that account. I mean, there is no one, even if you like have sworn off carbs, <laughs> if you look at that Instagram account, you will be making the drive to Ashland because these photos are incredible. I mean, the pastries are beautiful, but the lighting that they are shot in, the composition, the way that yeah. you have them plated, it is just phenomenal. Thank so you. I, I have to know, like, I don't know if you run that account. I don't know if someone else runs that account. But how did you identify that this is a great way to just blow this business up? Because a lot of restaurants or bakeries really, really struggle with photography. Yeah. Um, I do run both social media pages for the store and the bakery. And it's one of the little creative things I still have my hand on completely and I don't intend on letting it go anytime soon because I do love to take a pretty picture. I love fussing over the details and thank you. Yeah, I I 
find that even taking a quick Instagram picture is enough to satisfy those little creative urges I get throughout the day when I don't normally have my hands on things like I used to. Um, but no, I, it's funny. I just, I read a thing a long time ago before I had really kind of honed in on my style of the both businesses and photography and all that. And it was just, I think some influencer or something like that. I can't remember specifically, but she's like, I've learned that the brighter you make a picture, the more people will notice it. And I was like, I mean, I guess that makes sense. So I just started upping the light on everything. And I just realized how pretty that looks when they're all together. And I mean, it makes sense. You don't want a dark food picture or anything like that. It doesn't show it off. So I just, just like the inside of the space. I like to keep every photograph light and bright and pretty and simple. I try not to put it too much in the background when it's the food pictures. It's just straight down on top of one of our old marble tables and that's it. Other than brightness, is there any other food photography tip that you could offer to a restaurateur, bakery owner, whoever it might be that's listening right now? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, I bought a book once. Of course, the name is eluding me. So if I think of it in the next few seconds, I'll share it. But it was about food photography. And I don't know if I read this specifically anywhere in it, but I was looking for tips of my own while we were working up to opening the bakery. And I just noticed in her photographs, there was never anything centered on the picture. I love when things are offset. Mm. So the item that you're taking a photo of can be perfect and the lighting and coloring can be perfect. But if you can have one quote unquote imperfect thing, it like takes it down to relatability. Like this picture isn't perfect. So you're welcome here. Like we're not pompous. This isn't overly fancy. Come see us. But yeah, just offsetting things a little bit has kind of become part of my style. And I, I don't know why I'm drawn to that, but I always try and offset stuff even in in like the mercantile we have this arch over our little candle room that's behind the main counter and I usually decorate it seasonally with flowers or something this this season we've got straw hats for spring and I never center anything perfectly I like it offset so I don't know that's just one of my little quirks I guess very wise there's a oh, I'm probably going to butcher this because now I'm going back to college but I remember <laughs> I took photog- a couple of photography classes you had to for journalism and they had like the rule of thirds yeah. where you wanted to put things within the third of the picture and not just directly center everything. Right. So I think that, that plays into that. Um, one more quick note on the social media account. I just, I love this, like the tone and style that you've taken where it doesn't sound like a restaurant being like, here, I made a blueberry scone, come eat it. Mm-hmm. It's It's so much more human. It's not just like, a commercial that's teasing out specials or saying, here's why you should come spend your money here. But it actually sounds like a person is speaking to you and, or like, you know, we kind of talked about the the posts that you had a couple days ago where you were like, Hey, we got absolutely swamped. Our ovens are, you know, not equipped to handle just this unbelievable buzz. We're so sorry mm-hmm. if, you, you know, if you had to wait, this is not because we got complaints, but we're just trying to, yeah. you know, express that. How did you develop your voice and tone for how are you, you were going to manage the Instagram account? I, I don't know. I mean, behind the scenes, I've always been kind of the class clown. So I have to tone that back a little bit when it comes to the businesses, because doesn't always blend with what you see so but I was like if I can do anything I can keep it casual you know um, I'm rarely trying to sell anything 
I'm more just kind of like, hey, people who love the things I love, we made this thing. If you want to come see us today or you have nothing else to do, you know, you might like it. <laughs> and that goes for both locations, really. Um, I don't know. I just I hate trying to sell people stuff. I more just like to get comfortable and relatable and invite them more than sell them, I guess. Um, but yeah, like like that one post, I, I also want to make things known like, hey, we see the things you see, so rest assured we're fixing them or, you know, amping them up, or we noticed you love this, so we're going to do more of that or vice versa. And I don't know, just, you know, be people's friend and no pressure. It adds a very human ele- element that just plays in very nicely with like, you know, I keep using the same words, friendly, warm, inviting, the atmosphere of the restaurant. I think that matches the tone that you have in your social media account really well. This might be a difficult question to answer considering Farine is only a couple months old. So like (laughs) the, the, the future is whatever. It's a blank slate. But what do you see as the future for the bakery? Well, I would love to keep things going the way they are. I mean, again, I think I've said it a couple times now, but all towns, especially small towns, they need, need a, bakery. a bakery. They do. Um, and I'm happy to have brought that. Um, but with the wine and whatnot, part of that deal was that we will be extending our hours later into the evening, um, first week of May. And I'd like to then keep that going, you know, forever and ever. So back to that whole when you're in a small town you have to have your space be kind of dual purpose it'll kind of be the same idea so we'll fill that bakery void that was there but we got that now and then we'll have another little evening spot too so we'll have our lovely wines that we have that you can't find at glacial till um they do their stuff beautifully their new space is great we go there all the time but you know again there was a little gap to be filled there so we have some of the other wines that people might be looking for and then we'll load our cases our bakery cases in the afternoon with you know evening friendly snacking items so same idea instead of you, know, you come in at six o'clock in the evening or seven on a saturday or whatever you come up to the counter order a glass of wine pick something out of the case it's probably not a cinnamon roll it might be like you know a savory croissant or you know some a bread basket with butter and sea salt or whatever and then you go find a table, and it's kind of the evening version of what we do in the mornings. Um, and then we'll have our garden patio area also that is opening within the next few weeks, I think. We have all the supplies now, so we're ready to roll. Um, but, yeah, we'll have a nice outdoor green space too, which we don't really have any of in Ashland. Glacial Till has their rooftop, which is beautiful. I love having that. But we'll have one more now that we'll have to offer, so I'll have kind of a garden vibe and – I don't know. As far as long-term goes, I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any big, big dreams. Just another place for a small town to enjoy, I guess. Just keep plugging and see what happens? Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, if the last couple months have taught us anything, you better be ready. Get, <laughs> get yeah. your seatbelt on. Cause. Yeah, I would really love to up our bread program. I, okay. I would love to be known for just the best bread around, which I think we're well on our way. I think so, too. Um, before I let you out of here, I've got two questions that I like to ask just about everybody I have on the podcast. The first is, what is one thing about being in the restaurant and hospitality industry that you don't think most people who visit the bakery know that you wish they knew? I guess I wish 
sometimes that people understood all of the planning and time and fast-paced work that goes into putting these things out. Um, and same for the coffee, too. I need to give our baristas some credit, especially with our small equipment and our small space. You know, the line can get long and the weights, therefore, can get long. And I just, I would love people to know that we're always trying. We're trying to put out the best thing we can with what we've got. And um, patience is always appreciated. Um, but yeah, that just a lot of thought goes into these things. And I don't know, it's not a very glorious answer by any means, but there's just a lot of like chats and prototypes and brainstorm sessions that go into every little thing that we make. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think even just, and, and this is just one very small aspect of it, but I mean, you look at all the different things that you offer between three different types of bread, there are croissants, there are turnovers, there are scones, there are mm-hmm. cinnamon rolls, like all these things require different proofing times, different baking times, oh, yeah. different temperatures, and you're balancing all these different things at once. So even that is just like, it's a very small portion of all the things that you're talking about Mm -hmm. but but like that is a lot in and of itself so yeah just having patience and an understanding that we're not just like humming and singing back in the kitchen and oh let's leisurely remove this pan now like there's a lot that's going on I think that's good to acknowledge yeah and of course reminding people that might ever be tempted to like there's all it doesn't matter what business you're in you're always going to get a bad review here and there doesn't matter who you are and it's those people it's like just remember that maybe what you experienced was a temporary one-time oopsie yep and what you know you've now left a permanent kind of scar on this record and especially when they're small family-owned businesses like or you know single entities or whatever like we have to work really hard to maintain these things so maybe take a step you know and give a little credit and Always, always give them a chance to make it right. If you're hell bent on, uh, you know, letting the world know that something wasn't perfect, you know, just remember there's real people working really hard to do this stuff day in and day out. So, absolutely, yeah. couldn't have said that any better myself. And then on a positive note, and there's a very good chance that you've answered this question at least once, maybe m- multiple times during the <laughs> podcast. But I like to end things on a good note. Yeah. What is your favorite part about owning and being a part of a bakery? I, my favorite part is um, all of the good feedback we get from people. You, It's funny, I I don't remember what I... I answered a question the other day to somebody about who's your biggest supporter. And I was like, well, of course, like, my husband and my mom. <laughs> but I was like, it's funny, you know, you get more lovely feedback from people you don't know than people you do know. And you don't always know why that is, but... Um, I think that's my favorite part. The people that don't know me that didn't need to reach out and say anything nice because I wouldn't have known any different. I wasn't waiting for their phone call, you know, um, that took the time to share photos or just send a private message or an email saying, hey, we're so happy to have you or we stumbled across you and it totally made our day. We're going to tell all our friends, you know, good job. It's just so nice, the people that take the time to let you know that all of this hard work you've done is a appreciated it's i just find that really nice it's a beautiful sentiment and a great way to end a great conversation so i just want anyone who's listening if you if you've been to farina you know 
just how special this place is and and all the cool things that they have going on out there. If you haven't been, <laughs> let this be your wake-up call. Yeah. Trust me, I don't care where you're driving in from. It is worth the drive. You can have a great time in Ashland. You're going to have some great pastries. And if you are looking for particular like bakery items, baked goods, Ashley is really good about updating not only on Instagram, but each week on the website, you update the menu and have everything that's going to be in the case. So go ahead, check that stuff out. You always know the cinnamon roll is going to be there. If the morning bun or the honey scone with marmalade butter are on there, that is like a, I'm canceling my plans (laughs) tomorrow morning and I'm going because those items in particular, I want to highlight, they are excellent. Ashley, thank you so much for joining the show today. This was a real pleasure. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.